Zechariah chapter 14, and I want to read verses 16 and 17. And we're going to spend our time tonight on verse 16. And I've just decided in this last part of this chapter, like so much of this book, we're just going to go verse by verse because there's so much in each of these verses. There's just so much. And it's so good to see what Zechariah was preaching in his day and time is the same what we're preaching today. Uh, He was looking forward to the cross. He was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. He was looking forward to the Savior. And we look back, we see Him coming, we find Him identified that it was Jesus of Nazareth. That's who He is. Behold the Lamb of God. So He was doing all this identification, but like so many in the Old Testament, He knew the line that He was coming through, but He never saw Him in his with His physical eyes, but neither did we. We're given faith. We're given the faith of God's elect to believe what God had to say about His Son. Well, here it says, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from the year to year. Now, We mentioned last week that remnant according to the election of grace. And we noticed throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament that God always was just dealing with a remnant. Now, there were all those others that he overshadowed. And and it turns out that most of them could be summed up when we look at the book of Joshua. They were hewers of wood and drawers of water. They were going to be an example to the believers of what God would do to unbelievers. And so he used them, he ordained them. Uh, We read today that there are those who will stumble at the word and they were appointed to it. Now I was asked, "How how can you hold it? I said, I don't argue with it. My view of God has changed. He's able to do what he wants to do. And he does what he wants to do. And Dealing with us is just simply out of grace. There's nothing else. All right. And then it goes on to say in that verse, those who are left, the remnant, according to the election of grace of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast of tabernacles. Well, In this passage of Scripture, we find out that the church, those, the remnant, are going to go up, and they're going to, and this word year to year, now, this word has, is a little freer than just what we have as 365 and a quarter days, and we will see this as we read in the Old Testament. In fact, it's brought up in the New Testament that a thousand years is with the Lord as a day, and a day is a thousand years. We have some indefinite time. Everybody in every age that God ever saves is going to come to Christ, and they're going to worship. And they're going to worship not something, they're going to worship someone. And he is known as the Lord of hosts. And then it tells us in there, and they shall keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, we're going to look at that in just a moment. But turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles, back to the Psalms. Back to the Psalms. As we look at this subject of coming year to year, we, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we don't take that literally. 
I'm thankful we're permitted to meet on Sunday and Wednesday or any other time, especially during camp time. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And God's people truly worship God every day. It's not a year's... I'm sure there are some churches that wish that that's all they ever came together. But here. Now, in the book of Psalms, in the book of the Psalms, chapter 65, or Psalm 65, you look at that with me. Psalm 65. This message that we find through the scriptures, Psalm 65, and there in verse 11, it says, Thou crownest the year with thy goodness. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Even in the night seasons, thou crownest the year with goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. So the Lord to his church is always, forever, for an eternity, doing exactly what we find here, and it's summed up in a year. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness. So, Wherever we start in a year, wherever we start with our walk with Christ, wherever we start with Him's new birth, He it He drops fatness. It's good. He crowns the year with goodness. And then in Psalm ninety, we have something. What we find over there in uh, uh, Peter, uh, Psalm ninety and verse four, talking about these years. It's not just a yearly thing. It's not just a weekly thing. It's not a biweekly thing. It's a constant, ongoing pleasure that God has given the church to worship the Lord of hosts, to worship the King. Here in Psalm 90 and verse 10, the word says, And the days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Well, it doesn't matter how long we live. We're going to come to the end. And somewhere in that time, for all of God's elect. Now, it was brought up tonight. I just was thinking, and I shared it with those guys on that other Zoom meeting. You know, when not very many of us can trace our genealogy back a long ways. And if I could, I would probably not find very many, if any. I can't go back anywhere and find anybody that knew anything about the gospel. And yet God in his purpose brought all of those generations down through time to deposit at here. So I was brought into the world. God was purposed to reveal the gospel to me at the right time. And who else? I don't know. I could visit with all my brothers and sisters and find nobody that we can agree on worshiping the Lord of hosts. Nothing. There's nobody there. And I could go back to my mother and dad's generation, and I can't find anybody that knew anything. Now, there were some religious people, but they didn't know anything about the gospel. They didn't know anything, and they didn't worship the Lord of hosts. They worshiped religion and all sorts of things. Well, the turn with me to, in verse 10, or excuse me, verse. I read verse 10. I want to go back to verse 4 of that scene. That same psalm, verse 4, Psalm 90 and verse 4. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. We have that almost repeated in the New Testament. 
We have that brought out when we get over to the thousand-year reign. If you look at that as a li- in a literal sense, we're making a big, big mistake, number one, and the Lord's reigning a lot longer than that time. So a thousand years in my sight is but a yesterday. Well, in God's infinite wisdom and purpose of grace, time means nothing. He brings his lost sheep into this world at the appointed time, and at the appointed time, they meet the Savior just like the woman at the well was appointed. He must go, needs to go through Samaria, or just like Zacchaeus, or just like Matthew, as he dealt individually with people during his own personal ministry at the appointed time. And it didn't matter how many generations back or how many generations forward, this is when God's work of grace took place. And so, year by year, it means, let's do it every day. Let's do it every minute. Let's have a worshipful attitude about these things. And we find out to, to worship the, the Lord of hosts. Now, worship of any other god or system or ordinance or confession of faith or church or, is religious idolatry. To worship the Lord of hosts, the king, the Lord of hosts, is a worship that God brings to us. We find that we may use the flesh. I was thinking about this. We use the flesh to carry that which God gave us in the new birth. We carry it with us. We take that to church. (laughs) We take it to our prayer. We take it in our visits. That part that God gave us, the Holy Spirit in us, the He never created a new man in us in the sense that he's got something special, new there. He never dealt with the flesh except to bring it under subjection from time to time, and we're thankful for that. But we do carry that which God gave us in the new birth. The flesh carries this. But with the flesh, we do not worship God. There is no worship factor in the flesh. We cannot worship God. And most worship today is just to satisfy the flesh. Now, the scriptures tell us in John chapter 4. Would you turn there with me in John chapter 4 and verse 24? You know this verse of scripture, what, what worship truly is. God is a spirit. He's not flesh like we are. He's a spirit. And it tells us there in John chapter 4 and verse 24 that all the fleshly efforts that we put into it. Now, I shared with some of you, I have a dear sister that comes here, and she sits, always sits on the front row, and she always raises her hands. You can't get them to sit on the back row. <laughs> they want to be up front. They want to show. It's a fleshly demonstration. Well, here in the book of John, chapter 4 and verse 24, we have this mentioned. It says, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There is that glorious regeneration that God gives to his people enables us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, we cannot worship him in spirit and falsehood. And we cannot worship him in the flesh in the truth, it's just a contrariness. We worship him in spirit and in the truth. We cannot encumber the ground with false doctrine and say that we're worshiping him. 
We cannot go to him and worship him and say, we don't even believe that you died for a, a certain amount of people. You died for everybody. That's not worship of God. We must worship him after the dictates of his word. And he reveals that to us. It becomes common to us in the sense that we worship a God in spirit and in truth. So this worship that God gives us, it's drawn out, it's mentioned in the Old Testament, but even following the Psalms and saying, I'm going to follow this, does not mean we're worshiping. It's something God gives to us. It's it's a, a glorious gift to be able to worship God, to worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's not something that we do naturally. Naturally, we want to get our flesh involved in it. Why did the Lord tell those people, don't pray on the street corners? They thought they were worshiping. And God said, no, that's not what what worship is. It's not by repetition of words. It's not by loud speech. It's none of those things. Worship is the heart worshiping a true and living God. Savior, a Savior that actually saved me from my sin. In the book of Psalm again, would you join me in the, in the Psalm again? It's so full. David was so full of worship. And he was used to write so much about worship that, that it is just a natural thing for the regenerated heart to do is to worship God. We think so much of him. If he's a great Savior... Great sinners think a lot of him. He's the one that drew them out, lifted them up, brought them to life. He's the one that breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we became a living soul. Worship is just a natural event that a regenerated heart has for God. Thank you, Lord. We love you. It's Psalm 29. Let's go back over there before I lose my place. (laughs) Psalm 29 and verse 2. Look at this verse. This is a psalm of David. Verse 1, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. What's that mean? Only a regenerated person has any idea what that means. The glory due to his name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for what? He shall save his people from their sins. To be saved from our sins is a glorious thing to worship God about. And then it goes on and says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There's not going to be any flesh involved in that kind of worship. Now, we do carry the part of us that worships. It's you, we are used to carry it to services and hear the worship. Hear the story. We are... Is part of us, but that's not the part that worships God. The, God. the part that worships God must be in spirit and in truth. And in the same book of the Psalms, in Psalm 99, again this is brought up about worshiping God. Psalm 99, and there are verses in verse 5. Psalm 99 and verse 5, Exalt ye the Lord our God. Psalm 99 verse 5, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. You know, another place he says he will reign until he makes his enemies his footstool. <laughs> worship at his footstool. You know, everyone that's ever been saved has been at one time an enemy of God and an enemy of grace. But he gives us the privilege of sitting at his feet and worshiping him. 
having adoration, having thanksgiving, having glory, praising him for what he did to lift us out of a horrible pit, to set us upon a solid rock, to establish our goings, to give us a new song. We never had that by nature, but we have all of that because of Christ. And then in verse 9 of that same psalm, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. You know, the Lord draws us to this one person that sits on his one throne. This, we worship the Son of God. We worship it. And when we do that, we're worshiping the Father and the Son, our Father and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will testify of me, is what the Lord says. So worship him, and you're taking care of all the rest. We don't have to worry, well, am I worshiping the Father enough? Or am I worshiping the Spirit enough? Well, if we're worshiping the Lord with all our heart and all our being, as we are called on to do, and we're able to do the only after we've been saved, then we're taking care of the whole Trinity, the whole Godhead. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. What worship is, it's inexplainable, but it is a heart crying out to Almighty God in thanksgiving that you would, you would, come, you would give up the Son, your glorious Son, as a sacrifice for me. Worship the king. The leper worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt. The leper worshiped him and said, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. That's found in Matthew 8 2. Lord, he worshiped him, though, and then said, Lord, it's really up to you. Whatever. You choose. And that is really coming to the conclusion of worshiping God, that he would be the first commander of all our decisions. Thank you, Lord, that I can worship you and do as the leper did. Now, we are all lepers, cleanse lepers, but we still say, Lord, if thou wilt. Lord, if thou wilt. You can make me clean. We find the Lord speaking about a whole group of people. It says, in vain they do worship me. They're going through the pretense of it. They're pretending to worship me. Now that's that's an interesting thought when so many didn't even recognize who he was. What they're saying is, in vain they're worshiping God. Because that's who they were thinking they were bowing before. They had no idea who this was. But in vain they worship him, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, in vain, that's worship. That's vanity worship. Bringing out the commandments of men and saying, this is what you're supposed to do. And then we find that wonderful passage of Scripture over in the book of Revelation. It says, these did not worship the image of of the beast. Why? Because their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. Did not. That's in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, which did not worship the beast. We thank God that we've not been given over to that. That's going to be everyone else. Now we may have gone through the pretense of it. We may have thought we've we've been there, but thank God He prevented us from worshiping the beast. 
Now, to me, the beast is our own natural religion. That's just prince and power of the air, natural religion. We're just will worshipers. Now, if it's something else, God's going to take care of it in a right way. But I am convinced that most worship is just self, self-willed worship. And if God leaves us in that condition, we will never see him. But he interrupts us. I'm so thankful that God interrupts us. God gets involved. God comes down and does something and goes crossways to the path that we're traveling. Saul of Tarsus had a path he was traveling and God got involved and he just interrupted it totally. And you know, Saul of Tarsus never wanted to go back to any of that stuff that he'd ever been in because why? He's worshiping the Lord. He's worshiping the King, the Lord of hosts. So much better than anything he's ever had in his life. And that's the same that is true with the church today. This worship. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This worship by the remnant is directed toward only one. And that is the Lord of hosts. Now, that's a name that's been given to him many times in the Old Testament. And we've looked at a couple of times, half a dozen times, 25 times, where that Lord of hosts really has its center. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. God never calls on anybody to worship anybody less than the Lord of hosts. The king, the Lord of hosts. Never ask us to stop by and worship any God less than the king, the Lord of hosts. Now he gives the church the ability to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. They recognize him as almighty God. If we worship anything less than that, it's idolatry. There is nothing in it. If we worship, and if we're worshiping God, and we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth, we're worshiping the King, the Lord of hosts. We have a high regard for the Savior. We have a high regard for salvation. We have a high regard for God and His work. We may not, and we don't understand most of it, but we do not go contrary and say, you know, that's not right. You know, that's not right. That's not fair. God is absolutely right and fair in every one of his dealings. He is right to save his people from their sins, and he is right to have a bunch of people on the left-hand side. He has made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. You know, I'm the first one to admit I don't understand that. But I have to believe it. And I worship the Lord that said it. The Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. We worship the Lord of hosts. We know since Christ went to the cross. uh, Let me back up. Go over to the Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. You know, it may not be too long that I want to have to do what Mike has been after me to do all along. And that's type it up so I can put it in the right order. But anyway, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. This is such, an, such a, a wonderful verse of Scripture that talks to us, shares with us about this Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. This is who the church worships. It's not a God that has ever said he's trying. It's not a God that has ever said, I will bow to the whims of man. A God that has never said that salvation is up to man and once they respond to me, then I can do something for them. 
This God, as described in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, now notice this, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Now that's the king, the Lord of hosts, and that's who we're permitted to worship. He upholdeth all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself, and another miracle, purged our sins, it's beyond our comprehension. It is beyond our amazement that he could purge our sins. He could pay for our sins in totality. But once the Lord saves us, we get to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, who did exactly that. Purged our sins. And beyond that, this one, the Lord of hosts, who upholds all things by the word of his power and has purged our sins by himself, is now set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He has sit down. The work's over. It is finished. We're not looking for him to do something else. We're not looking for him to do something greater. He has done his work. He has put aside the law. He has put aside all the ordinances of the Old Testament and said they are fulfilled in me. Worship the king, the Lord of hosts. And we find there that we we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And if we don't, we're not worshiping the Lord of hosts. All right, now, it tells us in that verse of Scripture there in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, and verse 16, that those who do this, those that are brought, the remnant are brought to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, year by year, day by day, is going to be a constant thing. God's people are going to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and they are going to, what's it say in that last part of that verse? It says something about... The Feast of Tabernacles. Zechariah 14, verse 16. It says there, to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now we know, we know, that since Christ came, did His earthly ministry, went to the cross, died on the cross for all His people, and paid all their sin debt, that all of the feasts and all of the sacrifices are finished. We're not called on. I've been asked recently, uh, what do you think about doing the Passover? And I says, it would be nothing but idolatry. What do you think about the Feast of Tabernacles? Keeping it. Nothing but idolatry. Satisfaction for the flesh. Either Jesus Christ fulfilled them all, or he didn't fulfill any of them. And since he fulfilled them all, they're not on our radar anymore. (laughs) Now we're going to look at the spiritual blessing of the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's many things that we could see in this. But we find that the Feast of Tabernacles is a picture. The original Feast of Tabernacles is a picture of what we have in reality. We have a picture over here and we have the real. We have the sacrifices over here and now we have the true sacrifice We have King David over here, but we have King David over here. We have the true king, the Lord of hosts. The feast is looked at not literally, but we want to look at it spiritually. The life of a believer is always, always 
enjoying the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the life of a believer is a constant feast of the Tabernacles because of what it means. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was instituted by Moses, by the direction of God, that they would go out and they would dwell in booths. Now, the first place they came, one of the first places they came was called Sukkoth, and that's the word for, for those booths that they were to make. And they were to camp in for seven days. Now, what they're demonstrating to us is, what is we read about Abraham, he was a pilgrim and a sojourner in this world. He was nothing but a pilgrim. We are dwelling in the tents of the Feast of Tabernacles. We're just passing through this world. We're not of this world, but we're passing through this world. We find that, well, let's turn over here to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 9. This, here it is. Anybody that's been given the faith of God's elect have this to hang on to, to enjoy, to appreciate. This is We can worship God here. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as a strange country dwelling in tabernacles. Abraham, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And he looked for a city. Okay, let's not stop right there though which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He dwelt in tabernacles, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, dwelling in tents, not in the city, but dwelling in tents. And then it tells us there in, uh, dropping down just a little bit, verse 16, I think it is that, but now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to call their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. So we have this constant reminder of what God does for us by faith. And he says, every day, you get to practice the Feast of Tabernacles. You get to enjoy just passing through. There's no continuing city here. I promised you life and life eternal. And I'm going to take you out of this place in time. You're just traveling through. You might meet one of my elect ones and share with that one the gospel and it's going to make all the difference in the world to them. But you're just traveling through. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're practicing the Feast of Tabernacles. We're coming to the Feast of Tabernacles. 1 Peter 1.17 It, and if ye call on the Father, who without respect to persons judges according to every man's work, how's he going to judge every man's work? It better be the work of my Son that you're trusting. You better be worshiping the King, the Lord of hosts. Pass the time of your sojourning here in respect. Worship. That's what God gives to us. They, they are strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And the Feast of Tabernacles declares that the Son of God tabernacled in the flesh. We worship that every day. You, God has come in the flesh. The Son of God has been here. 
and dwelt in flesh. And it was that way he was able to go to the cross. This is Emmanuel, God with us. As we worship at the Feast of Tabernacles, we're worshiping the God that permits us not to be in grounded in this world but passing through this world but also that our savior came and just passed what does it tell us about him the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and that word dwelt means tabernacled he was in a booth with us he was in the same booth with us he's passing through and along with this we find that this feast was at the time of the ingathering of the harvest. It celebrated the ingathering. You know, God continues to have us celebrate the ingathering of the elect. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6. What a wonderful statement we have here that the Lord makes. John chapter 6 and verse 37. The Lord brings us up and we rejoice in it. It, it, This is the only way anybody is ever going to be saved. This is the only way that we're going to have brothers and sisters in Christ. All that the Father giveth me shall be brought in, shall come to me. We're going to have an ingathering. It's a promised ingathering. There will be a reaping of the harvest. There will be people saved. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. The Feast of Tabernacles is a promise that God will bring all his sheep into the fold. That we may get to witness it or we may not get to witness it. But he's still going to bring every one of his elect ones into the fold. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come sin or high water, I will not cast them out. I am God, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. It's a promise that God has made to his people. We celebrate this. And over there in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's go over there. Our time is about out, but we want to look at this. 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 4. Now there's a discussion going on in the church at Corinth. Instead of the Apostle Paul coming in and just tearing into them, he preaches Christ. The only hope. Preach Christ. Preach Christ. It says, For while one saith, I'm of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but the Feast of Tabernacles is going to promise an ingathering, and God gave the increase. While we camp in this booth, this sojourning, God has promised that in the preaching of the gospel, he will bring everyone in. We've got that promise made to us. And in Matthew chapter 9, jump over there with me if you would, just as we look at this. John, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 9.
I, I have spoken to Mike a number of times, this Mike. I said, how in the world did you escape not being called to preach? How did you escape that? Because everyone else that I knew there was called to preach. How did you escape that? I escaped. You escaped? Yeah. <laughs> you know, preachers just cannot wait to get somebody called to the ministry and they can hang their... Mr. Blanchard, for years, had me as his star because he called me to preach. He made sure that I was in the ministry. Even though I went to him and told him I was lost, I ended up being called to preach. Well, look at this, would you? In the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 4. Excuse me, verse 36. Verse 36, excuse me. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Call everyone you can to preach. Not quite. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he will send laborers into his harvest. The ingathering. God's going to do it. He supports those who he calls. I've never met anybody that was a gospel preacher that ever ran from his call. They may say, I can't do it. All right. So, everyone's going to enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to be strangers and pilgrims in this land. We're going to rejoice in a God that would come down and tabernacle in flesh for the suffering of death. We're going to enjoy a God that takes care of his business and saves his people from their sin and there is a promise in gathering and it will happen and not one will be left behind. And so enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles. Enjoy God's great grace to his people. Enjoy worshiping the King, the Lord of hosts. And enjoy it every day. And we'll pick up with verse 17, Lord willing, next time.